Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Ms. Heidi, appreciate that so very much. Genesis chapter 1. If you grab your Bibles, join me in Genesis chapter number 1. We'd love for you to join us in the Scriptures. There's a copy of the Scriptures there in front of you, in the back of the pew. I'd love for you to be able to follow along as we delve into God's Word in our desire to have discernment. Paul said, discerning that which is good and evil, right and wrong, sinful not, and God's plan, not God's plan. And so that's our desire. And now we are applying it to discerning gender identity. Divine design or disoriented disorder. And so we started just a couple of weeks ago. We asked this question, where are we at today? Are we embracing God's divine design or is there disoriented disorder? And we came to the conclusion, and one of the conclusions, that we are being brainwashed through chaos and confusion. And that in turn breeds a total disorientation, uh, not knowing which way is up, what is what, so forth breeds disorder, which then opens the door for new truth and redefined humanity. We established number one truth was this. Mainstream narrative on transgenderism has been shaped and supported by secular worldviews that are committed to human autonomy, self-rule. In other words, denying God's rule and not allowing him. And so we pursue that and we change mankind, the very essence of what man is, so that he is truly his own God. And so we came up with truth number two, a consistently uh, Christian approach to transgenderism must start with a biblical worldview. Okay, looking at it through the lens of God's Word, a biblical anthropology, that's an understanding and study of mankind, and beliefs must be grounded in these first three chapters of Genesis. We'll get in that today. That's where we're going to start in just a moment. But our enemy likes to appeal uh, to mankind, that desire for autonomy, and so we came to this truth concerning transgenderism and even the modern world in which we live. Uh, the confusion surrounding that is the most recent appeal by Satan to the self-rule and rebellion, man's desire for it against God and his design. And so we concluded, where are we today? And where do we stand? Well, as a mankind, as a race, we have rejected as a people, as mankind, the authority of God through rejecting his divine design of his grandest creation, mankind. We're going to see that today. It's so crucial, that last statement, that we comprehend, wait a second, what is God's uh, penultimate creation? It's mankind. You and I are in a greatly privileged position. So we'll see that today. Number two, we saw this and asked this, what does science say? What does science tell us? Proof for divine design or disoriented disorder. And we, we looked at many verses. We won't rehash those, but we came to this truth based upon those verses. Science, the study of the observable, can do nothing but confirm both the existence of God as supreme design of all mankind. It's funny that even the Bible presents scientific evidence to that reality. We studied Job and looked at different passages there. Then we looked at definitions of the words. You remember in regard to this topic, and as we did so, we looked at some scientific studies outside, and, and we came to the truth number five. Only two biological genders can be scientifically observed and conformed and, and confirmed. And we looked at those findings specifically of the one study last week and uh, that resolutely confirmed that. And so what we came uh, to say, it's safe that science solely and concretely proves the divine design of mankind, a design that we will look at today. But it's crucial for us to remind ourselves, too, that no matter how much scientific evidence, no matter how many Bible verses that clearly teach such, unbelievers who are in rebellion to God will consistently rail against the truth. There will always be opposition and a resistance to it. And so the battle is spiritual. It requires endurance, persistence, uh, perseverance. It requires repetition of the truth in love. So we said in response, and we came to this conclusion, know the science. 
Okay? And science, the current research, certainly affirms the truth of God's Word. It points to it in the observable science, what science is by definition. But we also said this, research truth and uh, research studies in science are not the weapons of our war- warfare. My friend, if we're going to stand for God, we need to let God speak. And he does that through his word. That's the sword. And so that is our our shield and the source of truth. And so with it, we respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we've even alluded to today, we we pray and hope that there'll be unbelievers who are awakened to the miraculous grace of God that can save the greatest of sinners. And as Paul said, the chiefest of whom am I? Reality is, boy, uh, we want people to see Christ in all this. And so our answers are found in the Scripture, not secular studies. And we ended with this statement where we always stand ready to offer Christ as the only solution to man's sinful depravity and eventual eternal death. And I'm so thankful today that not only as I stand here and you sit here, as we go out tomorrow, wherever path in life takes us, you know what? We get to offer people Jesus Christ true life in Jesus Christ. In fact, new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, If any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. All things are become new. He is a new creature. Isn't that a great truth? So we get to offer that. Okay, number three. So here we are as we finalize and complete our study in transgenderism. Let's ask this question. What does the Bible teach us? I told you last week, this is the most important. We built up to this, and it's good to know where we're at. Uh, What is the problem, the issues we face today? Where is the confusion, the chaos? Then we said, okay, scientifically, from a a human scientific standpoint, what is that saying? That really confirmed divine design, as we saw last week. But most importantly, we have to come back to the original author, the creator of all, God himself, and ask this question. What does the Bible say? Did God design us divinely, perfectly, or are you and I just, hey, what pops out? We hope it's okay. We hope everything's fine and perfect, and we don't know what it's going to be, as I shared with you in New Zealand, passing laws that will determine the the gender of a baby, not on the birth certificate right then, but later on. Is that where we are at? Is that truth? Is that right? Look at Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 27. Let's see what God established beginning and what he said through the scriptures verse 27 so god created man mankind in his own image in the image of god and so we have repetition in the image of god created he him and then this is added male and female created he them now for us who will take god's word at what it says honestly that kind of settles it doesn't it (laughs) because he created mankind, and so he created them the way that he wanted them, and it says he created them male and female, okay? So yet, let's say what do the rest of the scriptures say, and how how would we uh, continue to see that play out throughout the scriptures? Maybe that was just Genesis. Maybe that's all that God cared about. Well, it's interesting. Excuse me, let me move on here. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus Christ came along, God incarnate. He reiterated the thought, and he said this, and he answered and said to them, have ye not read... That he, uh, which made them at the beginning, made them male and female. That's interesting. Mark recorded it this way. He said, but from the beginning, Christ speaking. And I like this statement because you know what? When he says from the beginning, don't miss this. When he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. It is a statement to say, it is what it was. It is what it is. And it is what it will ever be. See, there's in this statement, Jesus Christ, wait a minute, we're not changing God's plan. We're not changing his design. We're not going back and rewriting what God started. And don't forget the context of this. Don't miss this. In this passage, why is Christ saying this? Well, the verse right before, you know what he says? Because of the hardness of your heart. 
I have to reiterate this. I have to say this. And, and in the context, he's talking about his design for mankind and specifically for the design and order of marriage and the relationships of mankind, male and female, one to another. And that interaction, he says, um, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses issued you a bill of divorcement. It's caused by the hardness of your heart because from the beginning, God created the male and female. And one man should, uh, man should live his, leave his mother and father and should be joined to a woman. They should be one flesh. That's what he's saying. And boy, Christ is reemphasizing this truth. It has not changed since the beginning of creation, nor will it. Now, as he talks about the creation of mankind, let's say, okay, well, why is it so important? What? Why is mankind in his design, his divine design, so much under attack? Why does Satan want to come after us and redefine who we are, our makeup, the very essence of mankind? Well, because there are two things key to the creation of mankind. The first is this, as we saw in verse 27. We are created in the very image of God. No other part of creation can say that. You and I are extremely unique in that we are created in the very image of God. And secondly, God desires a relationship with us. Now, in modern vernacular, you know what that should do? That's blow your mind for those who are my age and older. Okay, that ought to blow our mind. What? The God of creation wants to have a relationship with us? Listen, you, you might want to have a relationship with your cat or dog. God doesn't. He doesn't want to. Hate to break it to you. There is only one part of creation that God in heaven wants to have a relationship. And my friend, that is you as a human being, me as a human being. Every single person. Wow, we are unique and special. We are, we are distinguished. In fact, I would put it this way. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Listen, well, Pastor Henry, what about the mountains in this beautiful earth? Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm loving living in Michigan this time of year, okay? The white stuff, not so much. Uh, but this time of year, I love driving around and seeing the beauty. I mean, yesterday was gorgeous and the colors. And this morning, you couldn't see 10 feet in front of you. That was fun. And the fog, I mean, this is great. It's a beautiful creation. Well, listen to me. This world, this earth, and this heaven will be destroyed. It does not rank. God does not want to spend eternity with heaven or this earth. He wants to spend eternity with you. You are the only part of creation that God wants to have that kind of relationship with. We're the pinnacle. Now, don't let that go to our head. Because you know what happens? Some people say, oh, we're created in the image of God, and so we're just a smaller version of God. May I just say to that what the Greek would say? incorrect data you and i cannot be gods he is not just a bigger version of us that's not what it speaks of when we are created in the image of god and here's the problem that then in turn leads to wrong thinking when we can get to the point where we're sinless and we become little gods and it also brings god down to our level and have you ever heard somebody bring god down to our level and refer to god as the man upstairs let me tell you he is not the man upstairs he is the god in heaven Okay, don't bring him down. Yes, we're created in his image, but boy, sin came along and messed that up in many ways. But when it says we are created in his image, it doesn't mean you and I are little gods and things. Not at all. See, and we're not going to be able to get into it extensively this morning. We have done so in other messages. But when we talk about being created in the image of God, it, it means that there are characteristics that are a part of God his makeup, who he is, that can be part of our makeup that we can reflect to. 
It's a reality that distinguishes us from the rest of creation. Man, I'm thankful today the scriptures tell you and I that God is love. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is wise. God is moral. God has a spiritual aspect to him. And you and I, to some degree, can express those same traits. No other part of creation can do that. Can we talk about people who, who are tree huggers? Can I tell you, a tree can't hug you back out of love. It doesn't happen. And some of you, I know you think your cat or dog loves you, but reality is they may just like you because you, you feed them. <laughs> Give them more in place to stay. You know, there's things that God, are characteristics of God that you and I, we can reflect. In fact, we can be part of our makeup that no other part of creation can say that. Now, don't mistake that. There are characteristics of God that you and I can never have. Man likes to dream of it, right? Wish I was Spider-Man and Superman and this hero and this hero and so forth. I wish I was all powerful. No, 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 no. You will never reach that level of God because God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. You and I will never be. No human, no supposed in, uh, created superhero figure will ever be. No, no, no. There's only one. He is God. So there's certain characteristics that are his alone. But there are others that you and I, uh, we can reflect. Beyond that, do you realize that you and I reflect God's spiritual nature? We're able to connect with him on a level that the rest of creation cannot. A spiritual level. That's something to be said. As you and I are made in that image of God, we have a spiritual life, ethical and moral leanings and sensitivities. We have a conscience, uh, even the capacity to represent God here on earth. And all of this goes into that creation of you and I in the image of God. You see, uh, add to this the fact, the idea that God wants a personal relationship with each one of us. You can't deny that there's a unique distinction behind the divine design of mankind see every person god cares and loves for you and god wants a relationship with you that sin severed does not it prevents that until jesus christ died on the cross and you put your faith and trust in jesus christ alone for salvation to restore that we're memorizing a verse or a passage on sunday nights as a church and we've been told that we are given the word of reconciliation you and i are estranged from god because of our sin all have sinned and come short of the glory of god so we're estranged from god we need to be reconciled to our creator because sin has come and created a chasm between us and the reality is there's only one who can bring us back together and reconcile us and that is jesus christ by his death on the cross of Calvary. My friend, God would, Jesus Christ, and I, I, don't miss this. Jesus Christ did not die for the earth. Jesus Christ did not die for the animals, the, the, the fish and the, uh, the fowls of the air. Christ did not die for them. He only died for mankind. That's you and I, unique, special to God, distinct from all of the creation. Furthermore, you and I have a body and a soul that are uniquely joined together. You are made up of a body and a soul that God in his wisdom has brought together the right body, the right soul. He has joined together in a very unique way, special way, according to his plan. Jesus Christ alluded to this, and I need to get ahead of myself here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. You remember what he says there? He says, don't fear those who can kill just the body, but rather fear him who can kill both the body or is able to destroy both the body and soul. 
I love this concept. Do you realize that you and I are the only part of creation that God breathed life into? Great verse. Look at it, if you will. Genesis chapter 2. We're in Genesis 1. We're going to look at several verses here in Genesis. Notice that Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And so that's why at funerals we'll often say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This outward uh, earthly body is returned to that and will soon gain a glorified body. He says, uh, for man of the dust to the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Notice the next statement. From that breath of life, what happened? Man became a living, what's the next word? Soul. A soul and body joined together by the very breath of God. That's who you and I are as mankind. We don't see that with uh, animals. We don't see that with trees. We don't see that with any other part of creation. You and I alone, God breathed life into us. And you and I are the combination of a soul and body. And then as part of this unique, distinct, divine design, God says, I'm going to give you the gift of gender. And so Genesis chapter 5, look over there with me, and if you'd like to, or just read it up here. Genesis chapter 5, look at verse number 2. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Okay, blessed them. Eh? He created the male and female, and this is the blessing. This is a great thing, a good thing that has been bestowed upon mankind. The blessing of God, this gift of gender. And so, what's the point of that? It's not random. God did not create an Adam and Eve and say, eh, maybe you'll be a male and female, but let me know 10 years down the road. He didn't say that. That's nowhere in Scripture. Hey, let me know when you decide what you want to be, I'll make you. No, he made them male and female, Adam and Eve, and uh, clearly blessed with the gift of gender. Distinct, unique. See, it's not random. It's not by accident. It's not a, a, a simply a biological phenomenon. It's not a social construction. Young person, could you get your, wrap your mind around this? Christian, can we understand this truth today? The reality is this. Our sexual identity and function are a part of God's design and His will for us, His image bearers. Your gender is part of the specific, intentional purpose and plan God has for you. It's part of it. Each one of us, every aspect of who we are, the joining of that soul and that body together was done by the mighty, perfect hand of God. Remember what Genesis chapter 1 and 31 says? Christ looks back over all six days of creation and he looks at it and what does he say? He says simply, and God saw everything. Whoa, whoa, he saw everything that he had made. Male, female, Adam and Eve, and every other aspect, and behold, it was good. No, no, it wasn't just good. It was very good. It's very good. Everything. Male, female, and, and the genders, and mankind, and every aspect, the design of mankind. God looks back and says, that, that's good. Mankind is good. It's very good. It's exactly what it needs to be. And then God doesn't waste any time. Now, here's the point. Don't miss this. Young people, don't miss this. God doesn't waste any time after he created mankind, unique, distinguishable from all of our other creation. God breathed. He's given soul and body together. We are the pinnacle of his creation. He created male and female. And then to make this concrete and to make it very clear that this is his design and his plan, he explains that both genders are crucial, needed, and important. Genesis chapter 2 goes on to tell us that God made man and he made a helper 
for him from his rib, a mirror image in the sense of being of mankind. And yet, they both have different roles and responsibilities that God himself establishes in Genesis chapter 2 and following for marriage in every relationship, within and without. So he, he immediately starts, okay, this is a helper, this is, this is the man, this is the woman, and so forth. And the helper is not a condescending term, it's not a lower term. In fact, it's used elsewhere in the scriptures of even a God at times and things like that. So it's not a condescending term in any way. The reality is it's a helpmate, uh, uh, the perfect accessory to make it a perfect combination. Uh, that's what he describes it as, both with individual, different roles and responsibilities. Additionally, you know what God says? He gives mankind a command, a responsibility that's only given to mankind to rule and to reign, to subdue this earth and to care for the rest of creation. Now, here's the thing. Here's a great truth. Do you realize the reality of two genders is the only way mankind can rule and reign as God intended over all creation? If there are no two genders, man does not go on, and the reality is he cannot fulfill the very command of God. Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Notice it, and he adds to that this. Okay, let me back up. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Okay, let's look at it. I didn't put it up here, so pretend you didn't see the next slide. Amen. Genesis chapter, 21, chapter 1 and verse 28. Notice it with me. Okay, we read verse 27. This is, follows right on verse 27. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Don't miss it subdue it notice the next two three words and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth and all the hunters said amen right dominion yeah be fruitful multiply replenish the earth fill it with little mankind children Fill it so you can subdue it, so you can have dominion over the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and all living creatures. Listen to me, friend. That does not happen with Adam and Steve. It happens with Adam and Eve. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be funny. But when we try to redefine God's design, we mess up his whole plan. We short-circuit our ability to fulfill the very commands of God. Friend, can I tell you, this is what we find and. You saw it quickly. You read it already. In the pages of Scripture, truth number six, gender is not something that is arbitrary. It's not self-defined. It's an innate, biological, natural characteristic with corresponding roles and responsibilities to each sex, to each gender. God designed us perfectly. He, he uniquely joined a soul and a body together. He didn't make a mistake. And he brought these things together in who you are. And with that comes roles and responsibility, privilege. It is the gift of gender. You see, and I think this is a crucial point. How important was it for God? Did he just start it out and say, okay, well, however it leads, you humans figure it out. And, and just, no, no, no. Throughout the scriptures, do you realize that God says there needs to be appropriate distinctions between the genders? I, I don't want you, mankind, to blur the lines. I, I don't want you to let this come over this way. And that, no, no, no. We're going to maintain and keep these two genders for all of time. That's what God desires. 
very important to God. You probably know many of these verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, what does God say? The woman shall not wear that which pertains unto man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do are an abomination to the Lord thy God. May I just simply tell you, makes it pretty clear God wants a distinction. Not between three genders or 63 genders, but between two genders. And before we get all caught up and start getting hung up on a particular part of clothing or whatever, let's understand what the practical statement here is that God is making. Neither gender should make intentional attempts to deceive others concerning what they are biologically. That's the principle. If we're going to take it from the principle before we get to the application, the fact is the principle says this. God says, don't, don't be deceptive. You need to dress like what you are. You need to reveal it in such a way by your dress that you are what you are. It's representative of that. There's a gender-appropriate behavior. And my friends, can I tell you, the left, ah, how dare you say there's a gender-appropriate behavior? You know why we say it? Because God said it. And he created the male and female. There's gender-appropriate behavior. There's gender-appropriate dress. And to blur those lines goes against God's divine design. And young people, you listen to me, and you listen to me very carefully. You be careful in fashion. You be careful in how you act not to blur the lines. Because you can be assured the world at large wants to blur the lines. They rebel against everything that is God, his design of male and female and everything else, and the distinction that is present. It is not popular to preach on it today. But my friend, God created us distinctly male and female. Act like it. Live like it. Dress like it. Speak like it. Divine design, design, distinguishable things. Many other verses speak of this distinguishment. Notice it. Uh, again, let's add the controversy. Amen. Okay. Deuteronomy Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Listen to me carefully. What's the principle? Very clear. There's a distinguishing element between man and woman, or man and woman, women and man. Your interaction, your relationship with them. It's distinguishable. If genders were fluid, if things changed, this verse would not be in the Bible. Do you really believe that we've gotten to 2021 and God said, you know what, what I wrote in the Old Testament, eh, just ignore it. All that distinguishing statements that I made in the Old Testament to define one gender from another and, and to draw up lines and parameters and uh, just, just kind of forget that. You just kind of ignore that. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. Well, the God of the Old Testament Surprise is the God of the New Testament. He carries the same distinction through, and I love these verses, and let's just dig deeper, shall we, okay? He still desires there to be a distinction between man and woman. I love these two verses. Paul writes them in the same pa passage. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Okay, that's what the principle is. Nature itself even teaches that, the long hair and so forth. It's a shame unto a... Male, specific gender. The very next verse, verse 15, you remember what it says? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. Now, you know, let's think about that for a moment. If all of a sudden gender is fluid, all of a sudden what I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body, I've got problems. 
half on this side long, half. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> what? Listen, that doesn't work according to God. Oh, man, God needs to change his word. And boy, haven't we seen that they try to revise this thing many years? Let's rewrite that. It doesn't fit our philosophy. It doesn't fit our ideology. It doesn't fit our design. No, 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 no. We need to fit God's design. There's hope for gender dysphoria. There's hope for confusion and chaos. Our God is not a God of chaos or confusion. He is the God of clarity. He makes everything clear. And these two verses show it a great distinguished, uh, a distinguishment between male and female, even here in the New Testament. You say, uh, Pastor Henry, I'm not convinced. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 16, would you? We're here in Genesis. Look here. To me, I've always found this to be one of the great proofs of gender and the distinction of gender. Notice Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse number 16. Okay, what has happened? In this passage, mankind has sinned. Uh, the snake, the devil came along in the form of a snake and he deceived Eve and Eve passed on to the man and the man was deceived too and they both ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to. God is now issuing judgment. He gets done issuing judgment on the serpent and the snake and frankly, between you and me, I wish he would have just done away with snakes forever. But anyway, we get to verse 16. He says this, unto the woman. Uh-oh, he said. Now listen, here is a particular, individual, distinguishable fallout of the curse to who women women a specific gender now notice unto the women he said i will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee that's directed towards women look at verse 17 and unto adam hmm to male he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou out and un, uh, thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. Listen to me. My friend, do you realize how there are distinguishable consequences, fallouts to the very sin of mankind? Notice with me, he did not say, hey, all you, all you people, Hey, Adam and Eve, I'm talking to both of you right now. Listen, no, no, no. He said unto the woman, here's what's going to happen. Here's part of the fallout of sin. It is distinguishable according to your gender. Now listen to me. Let's just think logically. If God is still on the throne, and we know that God is, as the Bible says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you were to ask God today, what do you think God would say about genders? I would think it would go something like this. In the beginning, he created them, male and female. Because you know why? God came to earth, and God spoke about gender. Jesus Christ, we saw it in Matthew, we saw it in Mark. He answered that question as God. What, 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 about, what about all that? And can I just tell you, you, you go study if you want to, spend many hours, many days, studying the Roman Empire, and I will tell you, in Jesus' day, there was gender confusion in that day. 
homosexuality was rampant. The reality of effeminate, uh, effeminate men was reality. Paul wrote, writes about it in the New Testament. It was in that day. It was not something maybe as prevalent today, but it was there. It was something mankind was indulging in. They were already trying to confuse genders even in that day. And the reality is this. Jesus Christ said, in the beginning, he created them, male and female. Made it clear. God in heaven established that simple truth. So there's a distinction that God says must be maintained. It cannot be distorted. It cannot be erased. It cannot be eroded. It cannot certainly be ignored. So we come to truth number seven. You see it here. Since the biblical view is that there are only two genders, two sexes, male and female, with God-defined roles and responsibilities producing a grand distinction Anything that stands in opposition to this truth is not biblical. So transgenderism is not biblical. It inverts the everlasting order and design that God has established while grasping to understand, don't miss this, grasping to understand gender by looking to one's subjective feelings, not looking to God. Now let me ask you this. How often can we go wrong when we are guided by our feelings only? And not truth. And herein lies the problem. A correct, do not miss it, a correct understanding of gender does not begin with us. It begins with considering the perspective of God who made us. Every discussion in gender and gender identity and so forth, it must begin with what does God say? It doesn't start with us and my feelings and so forth. You see, in transgenderism, the starting point is all wrong. Furthermore, it's also an attack on God making us in his image, his specific person for each individual person, his specific uh, plan for each one. It's an accusation that God melted us together, the wrong soul with the wrong body. Oh God, you messed up. I'm a soul, but you gave me the wrong body. My friend, our God does not make mistakes. But it's such is the accusation. I just put it this way and listen to me carefully. Would you gather and get a feel for the heart with which I make the next few statements? Confused feelings do not mean God made an error. A fallen world that is corrupted by sin, has witnessed creation attacked and assaulted on many fronts, including God's grand design for mankind in all of its areas. So when sin came along, everything that God designed, from the earth itself to everything, is under attack and under assault. And here's a fallout. Confused feelings and gender dysphoria are the result of sin and its corruption. While sin has also caused some people to be raised and reared in some very broken environments and homes from which conflicted ideas of gender and sexuality can emerge due to painful and traumatizing experiences. Sin's fallout from Genesis there is huge, it's big, it creates environments which feed non-truth. But with all that said, it does not change God's grand design. Sin does not undo that. 
See, a balanced Christian approach to transgenderism acknowledges that there are biological factors, home environment influences, past experiences, especially human volition, which all contribute to gender dysphoria. But we quickly add that there is hope and help within the pages of Scripture, which reveal the master plan and the great design of a great God. May I just tell you right now, you know what the hope is? The hope is if you and I will simply follow the grand design and plan of a great creator, things can be fixed. There are answers in this book. There's hope that it affords. I really appreciate what one author wrote. He said this, we, we see it that at the heart of any discussion on transgenderism is the issue of the truthfulness of God's word. Is it true or is it not? It, it, does it get the say or does it not? Does God? Each of us is broken by sin. And regardless of our subjective feelings, God's word gives us true perspective to make a moral evaluation of temptation. He's just simply saying, we've got to go back to God's word. We've got to make sure that we give the, the creator his right to speak about his creation. So whatever form that temptation takes. So the conclusion is crystal clear. Embracing transgenderism is inconsistent in opposition to the original and lasting divine design of mankind being distinctly only male and female. And young person, may I just encourage you, if you are a believer, if you adhere to the word of God, you should embrace that conviction. This conviction, wait, God, God created them, created us, According to his divine master plan and design, and we are distinctly male and female. And I would say to us as Christians, okay, Pastor Henry, this is out there, and we're facing, man, I face it in the workplace, I face it with neighbors, and I, I, it's just all over, like Facebook, I face all of it. How do we respond? Well, first of all, I would say this. Number one, in our response, we must join conviction with compassion. Okay? We must join conviction with compassion. We, we readily... Say, we know, for God so loved the world, every person, the same God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Christ's words in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17 ring out loud and clear in our hearts and minds as we approach this subject. As it comes up with other people, maybe it's someone who themselves is suffering from gender dysphoria. Maybe it's someone who has chosen different pronouns or someone who, who is confused in some way. Can I just remind you what Jesus Christ said in this verse? When Jesus heard it, I can just imagine him in the middle of our conversations and he hears somebody say, well, I'm just, I'm confused or I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ came to save all of us. Oh, certainly we have to turn from our way and choose Christ's way if we'll call sin sin like he does if we'll repent of that sin as he calls us to do my friend jesus christ is ready to help any and everyone you see the need for christ is as great as it's ever been and the need for repentance from one's own ways and from rebellion against god's design is as great as it has ever been 
and my friend, the world in the midst of chaos and confusion, you know what they need to hear? There is a Savior who is ready to redeem you as he has done me. By the way, thank you for your word. I am so very grateful for the clarity of the scriptures. I I praise you, Father, for the the clear principles you have presented to us in your word concerning this issue and many others. Uh, Father, I am grateful that you have a grand design for each one of us. And Lord, that it has been the same since the beginning and forever be, no matter what man says. Father, I pray you know our hearts this morning and the reality that The reality that we would join the scriptures and say, let every man be a liar, but God be truthful. You be right and you be true. Lord, we stand by your word today and we pray that as we address the situation, we would be affirmed in what we know your word says, that we would be affirmed, Father, in in what you would, uh, the distinguishing factors, responsibilities, and roles that you have given male and female. And then, Father, I pray that we would be faithful in sharing the truth in love. May we join conviction with compassion. May we share the, uh, the great physician with the ones who need you greatly. And Father, in the same thought, we readily remember, we readily admit that we too at one point needed the great physician. And Lord, we're grateful for the very salvation you've afforded us through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that even today that you'd work in the hearts of some who are here. If they are unsaved, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, may they start there. Father, I pray that they would see that without Jesus Christ, faith in him, a relationship with you started through faith in him, that, Lord, eternity will be nothing more than hell. But heaven can be gained through repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Pray someone would make today the day of salvation. Lord, bless in this invitation. I pray, Father, that you would help us and encourage us in the truths we've heard today. Help us to be ready to be steadfast, unmovable when it comes to the truth of your word. Now bless in this invitation the baptisms to follow.